Hey everyone, it's G here from the G and Coletti Show, and I'm really excited to introduce our next guest on Based on a True Story. His name is Salvatore Gencarelli, Italian descent, uh, grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and uh, at one point in his life decided he wanted to change directions and do something totally different. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about his life story and some of the amazing experiences he's had, and then we're also going to talk to, uh, to him about um, Standing Rock uh, protests, which he just came back from, and also the Black Snake Prophecy, and um, touching a few topics related to that. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Holy Shit. W-H-O-L-E-Y-S-H-I-T dot com. Now you too can know how great it feels to be regular. It's an all-natural stool softener using four herbs, and it works incredible. If you want to go better, go more often, or just go, uh, it's a great product for you. And get some free samples online. Enter in the promo code GC2016, and you'll get a 20% discount from us. Hey, Sal. Welcome to the show. It's uh, nice to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. So, um... This episode, based on a true story, we have uh, Sal here, who um, he'll introduce himself and a little bit of his background, um, and he just got back from Standing Rock, and we're going to talk about that as well uh, towards the end of the episode. So maybe we can start off, Sal, telling us about who you are, um, where you're from, and you know a little bit of your life story, you know where you started off and how you got to what you're doing today. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, first, I want to thank you, Gio, for the uh, interview and just inviting me here again. Uh, good to see you as well, and it's been a while. Um, so yeah, my background, you know, Italian, obviously Sal Gentrelli grew up in Massachusetts, uh, on the East coast. And when I was about 15, I, uh, met a Lakota man from, uh, South Dakota and he ended up basically adopting me into his traditions and I became his helper. Uh, this man was a, a ceremonial practitioner, a traditional person, and he came from a very, very strong line of traditional people. Um, even to the point, like, uh, you could say that crazy horse was his great grandfather. Um, so these are the people that have, uh, really fought to protect their, their people, their homeland and their ways of life for the last, at, at least the last five, seven to seven generations. And of course, well before that. Um, so yeah, I was out in South Dakota well, working for him. I'll ask you a question though. As a, sure. as a 15 year old. You should be chasing girls and, you know, drinking <laughs> beers. What what made you like what was going on in your life that made you want to move to a different path and to learn the uh, the native tradition? What was was there something specific that happened or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was like that. I actually was like that. I was chasing girls and drinking beer and other things, you know, uh, smoking different stuff. And, you know, the typical the typical teenager, you could say, of that that age and generation and that location. And um, I had a realization and, and it was kind of this moment uh, of epiphany and insight uh, that there was something deeply wrong with the world and the way people were living in the world. And um, I had always uh, been around nature a lot as a child. I, I was raised uh, by parents that were really uh, very well connected to nature. And um, even with all that, we still lived in a modern home, modern life, modern cars, uh, modern TV, all of all of those things. So, uh, but I had this kind of understanding that there was something off in this gnawing feeling deep down in in my gut, and in, in in this moment of inspiration and under insight, uh, I saw what the issue was, and I saw that there was this disconnect between 
kind of our biological and neurological way of being, our, our needs in this life of connection and the reality of our situation. And I also saw that people were living in such a way that the environment wasn't going to sustain it very long. And, uh, you know, of course, this was back in the, the late 80s, um, well before uh, some of the problems that we have now occurred, uh, such as, you know, the recognition of, of even ozone and the ozone depletion wasn't even a factor then or, uh, you know, the, the, the different factors that we're facing with climate change right now. So that realization happened. And at that point, I, uh, I really stepped into kind of like a committed response to that realization saying, I need to figure out what to do about this. Um, and within a very short amount of time, my kind of call out for help of what to do about this, uh, this Lakota man showed up at my doorstep and pretty much said, I'll show you what to do about this. Uh, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting how when you really send it out there. You can, you know, attract things to your life that seems almost uh, like a crazy coincidence or something like that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's 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 through the emotion, through the heart. I mean, it was more than just kind of an intellectual thought. It was, it was just a, a deep burning need of of action and reaction in such a way of how how can we help? How can I help? What can we do? And uh, you know, this man from two thousand miles away, you know, synchronistically shows up and. And, you know, literally says, I'll show you what to do, <laughs> you know. So a question answered, take me with you, whatever you say. So what happens yep. next? You go with this man and how foreign was the stuff he was talking about to like your, what you, everything you knew about life and the world and Boston, Massachusetts as a 15 year old. Yeah, it's it's very foreign. So foreign, in fact, that I didn't understand how foreign it was when he was saying it. <laughs> so if you can imagine, you know, you hear something with the ears and with the, the framework of your mind and, and the perceptions that you have developed through your your own history. And he's speaking English uh, or broken English. And I'm translating that in the way my brain works. And so um, I don't really understand what he's saying, even though I think I understand what what he's saying. And he actually made a comment to that recent or, or, or when we first met um, in about a year, he said, you're ignorant. Right. And I, I actually really took offense at that. But it is I was ignorant. I didn't understand. Um, so the next stages of my uh, apprenticeship of learning was really breaking down that old world pattern. It was breaking down that that mindset that came out of modern American and it was taking me into the into his uh, kind of reality in uh, that tradition um, and going into a really intense time of deconstruction, I would say, which involved, you know, isolation. It involved, uh, you know, hard work. It involved uh, repeated experiences of just go do it and then you do it wrong and then you learn and then you go do it again and again and again. Um, and, you know, I guess I was blessed that I had a teacher that was so tolerant and patient with me because I don't think personally I could have done that myself now that I look back. And, and no Instagram, no Facebook, you weren't allowed to, all that sort of stuff was uh, out the window? No, t no, not even a newspaper. Not even a newspaper, yeah. wow. Not even a newspaper, yeah. So. And do you think it's possible um, to learn some of these things while still being in the Western sort of world? Like is there some sort of um, – way to teach some of the things you have to learn or is the only way to really just totally disconnect 
and and then is there a ability to come back and sort of co 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 inhabitat you know the western with this knowledge so yeah yeah so so the the second part of your question i i believe absolutely i mean i'm i'm kind of living proof of that in the in the sense now i live in mesa arizona you know i live in a a, a big metropolis i interact with people all over the world and actually what i do is exactly that for your first question is i i teach from the perspective of how can we learn this understanding how can we develop this understanding integrate it as people in the modern world and not having to go through all of those steps that i had to go through so in 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 essence you know what what my teacher did was actually show me this and and create that within me because that was the answer to my original prayer or desire or you know that 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 moment of calling out the answer is well you have to be able to walk these two worlds and you have to be able to understand both of them but to actually fully do that you know at least as uh, for my my answer was i had to go and become almost like another person and then come back out of that and be able to merge these two worlds together so so yeah, and it seems like you know we'll get to this in a few minutes, but it seems like the two worlds are colliding at Standing Rock. There's the ultimate expression of profit and corporate capitalism, Western society, and then the natural world are coming head to head, saying you know something's got to give here, you know, or else it, it's one way. Or, right now it looks like it's one way or the other, just smashing heads. But I'm hoping that through this crazy event, that there will be now uh, opportunity for the world to see that we need to find a middle ground. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm I'm definitely of the belief that there's absolute absolutely a middle ground, and that we we have it within our human capacity to uh, to move into the world with technology, with the understanding that we have with technology out of fossil fuels, out of the extraction processes that we're using upon the earth right now, out of uh you know creating creating um, climate change through uh, uh, burning of these fuels and changing the atmosphere. Um, you know, like we, uh, if when we look at it from a traditional standpoint, we are given inspiration, we're given understanding, and even the scientists, even the people that develop these technologies are given this uh, kind of through a, let's say, a creative force, a spiritual creative force, you know, where that, that, that problem they're searching for, you know, whether that's uh, energy uh, management or whatever that may be. You know they're they're inspired in some moment of epiphany, and then that's where these new technologies come from. Mm. And and you know anybody that does a little bit of research knows fossil fuels are extremely outdated at this point. You know they're they're the the issue in Standing Rock isn't about technology versus nature; it's about letting go of uh, a technology that is destructive and manipulative and really instituting a, a way of life of human human relationship with nature that's more in balance. Mm -hmm. So um, and anybody that does a little bit of research knows that there are options, there are clean energy options, options that would be absolutely sustaining human life and human beings and the natural world. Um, but the, the this paradigm, so the paradigms that are in conflict right now, aren't so much like modern versus ancient, it's more you know, allowing the creative uh, gifts that we have been given as people to really fully express themselves. And the opposition of that is these oil companies, these fossil fuel companies and their dead paradigm. 
that really needs to go away. You know, they're stuck in they're stuck in that manipulation, trying to control something for their own benefit because it's no longer benefiting any of us. And it has done its job. It has shown us how to get to this place in this time that we're at where we understand how to utilize energy. We know how to extract energy out of the sun, out of magnetic fields. We know how to do that. And, and fossil fuels were a part of that, but that reality needs to go away now. So, okay. So that's, yeah, that's the way yeah. I understand it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so before we get into specifics about, uh, uh, standing rock, um, just a little bit more about when you went the other into the, the native sort of thing. So what sort of things did you, did you see that you would, you would think if you didn't see it firsthand were totally impossible. Cause I remember you sharing some stories, like someone like myself who hasn't, you know, really, had much exposure, you know. I've done a few sweat lodges, but but no real exposure to the, the native tradition. What are some things that you've seen, uh, or some of the, the the rituals and ceremonies that were really mind blowing to you that the average person would think is unbelievable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that actually. In 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 some some of it is very much like in your face, and some of it is very very subtle. Um, and I think in some ways the subtler the subtler uh, uh, kind of expressions of that were more powerful, but. Um, the tradition, so this traditional lineage, this family line of of healers, of ceremonialists, of of keepers of wisdom, of how to live in connection, how to live with the earth, um, which goes far beyond just some kind of like practical uh, cultural you know processes. They have they have ceremonial practices that actually bring somebody from a very disconnected state. And the ultimate expression of that disconnection is a sickness such as cancer or, or uh, you know, some heart issue perhaps or um, diabetes or uh, organ failure, whatever that is. Like it's, it's not viewed as just an uh, anatomical issue. It's viewed as they're out of relationship with the, the collective. Um, so these ceremonial practices and the healing that take place actually bring somebody back into connection with the collective. The thing is, it does it instantly um, or almost instantly at, uh, at, when everything goes well, it's instant. So you can watch somebody step into a ceremony who has four stage cancer, who is given six months to live. And then 20 minutes later, they are completely healthy. And then they go back to their doctors and they do the x-rays, you do the MRIs, the scans, the blood work, and they say there's no cancer. They, they write it off as a spontaneous remission. Um, and they say, well, this is a natural phenomena. Well, that natural phenomena was definitely helped by these collective, connective processes. I love it. So, yeah, there's, there's a video online um, of Greg Braden in a medicineless hospital in China. And there, there's three people uh, that are chanting a word which means it's already healed and they're doing it in a group and the person has to believe it. And it's a similar sort of philosophy. And, and on, in real time on the MRI screen, they show like this tumor just disappearing. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah I have yeah. seen that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a, a lot of people like say, yeah, that's bullshit. You know, like that's fake. It's made up. But, you know, like I guess I believe it. And, and, and I guess just more people have to experience it to see how real it is. And I, I think that Western medicine makes you believe there's only one way it's impossible. Once you have that belief system in your mind, it's almost impossible to heal if you don't think it's possible. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? It does make sense. You know, doctors, you doctors have incredible power that I don't, I don't think they fully understand. They have the power to bless people and curse people like no others, right? 
they can tell you you're going to die and Over. you will believe that and you will die. And they will tell you you will be okay. And in the same regards, you know, through that belief, you will be okay. So, and, and this is part of the traditional understanding and traditional uh, relationship that I was taught is to understand that we as human beings have far more power than we can possibly imagine. We have the ability to influence this world, to influence our bodies, to influence creation in a way that we don't get taught about and we don't understand. Um, and that's, you know, that that is part of this whole paradigm shift that needs to take place is to understand we as human beings are changing the environment, even through our our thoughts, uh, through our feelings. We're doing this not just on a, a physical level, but let's say one of the bigger differences is to know that everything is in motion. Everything is in movement. Everything is energy and movement. And this is, you know, it's not theoretical. It's not spiritual. It's, it's you know, we know this scientifically, mathematically, and quantum on the quantum level. Everything is in move is in motion. What we are taught, though, through our really English language is a big part of it, but also through that system is the staticness of life. We think that things are fixed. We think that that sickness, that cancer, that tumor, it's a real thing. It's not. It's a temporary thing. It's in motion and just like everything else. So all we have to do is realign that motion and it's brought back into health. So the hardest part is with Western people is getting them to believe that. Right? Yeah, they think it's it's once you have it, it's that's it. It's it's you have it. You know, it's it's not it's like fixed. some like up and down. You know, can you can get it and go away? I, I hear like a lot of people get cancer and they cure themselves without even knowing that they they get it in the first place, right? Um, totally, we all have cancer. We all are curing ourselves constantly because we're all in a you know more balanced relationship. You know, the fossil fuels is actually another expression. Let's say this is like a meta layer of that same mentality. It's the same thought process of of staticness. You know that that relationship with energy manipulation, the relationship with the fire, the relationship with the burning of those fossil fuels, it's it's they're holding it. There's people are still holding it. these corporations are holding it. The the governments are still holding that as the only reality. And in that, we know as as human beings, everybody feels that. I mean, even the most uh, uh I would say like kind of hardline fundamentalist people I know know there's something wrong in the world now. Five years ago, they were like, everything's good. Now they're like, no, there's something going on here that doesn't feel right. So it's time for a change. And and what's happening in Standing Rock is you have people that know that, and then you have the forces that want to keep it the same. Okay, before we get to Standing Rock, I have one more question just about your story. Um, what was the most profound experience you ever had going through the uh, the tradition, the rituals? Like any, anything that uh, you can share that really just yeah um, op opened up for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I I uh, I have done uh, something that they in the Lakota language is called the humblecha, which would translate roughly to crying for a dream. Um, and I've done multiple uh, humblechas before. Uh, what we normally call that in in the English is vision questing. Um, and I'd say the most profound experience I've ever had was uh, during a, a particular vision quest. Actually, the last time I've vision quested for four days. Explain it. Explain what's the vision quest. What do you do? Well, you you go without uh, – the way my teacher would explain it is you give up everything that it takes to live. So you, you go into an isolated place within nature um, and you give up food. You give up sleep. 
you give up water. So you for four days and four nights, you give up these things that we physically need to exist in this earth. And what you're ultimately doing is is stepping into kind of a very connected, a very what we'd call sacred space. And you go with question. You know, sometimes that's a sing singular question. Sometimes that's uh, multiple questions. But you go with that that really, really deep need. And and you go with the understanding, too, that there is a chance that you could physically die. So it's not something that you step into lightly, you know, like you you and I did this myself. I hugged each one of my children. I had four children at the time and I hugged my children. I hugged my wife at the time. And I said, if I don't see you again in this life, I'll see you again. You know, like, seriously, wow. this is the wow. moment of I might not see you again. But the 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 need at that point was so great that I was willing to take that risk that, you know, I wouldn't see my family again. I, you know, I was ultimately doing it for my children. So I stepped into that space. And in that space, what my experience was is that the the veil between our kind of perceptions of reality, let's say our electromagnetic spectrum uh, that we have, uh, it broadened. And I uh, I had communication with, with uh energy beings uh spirit ancestors and it wasn't the kind of communication where like i'm thinking it in my head and it seems like you know grandma's talking to me this is like i'm sitting with the ancestors and they're explaining things to me and um, you weren't on any drugs no drugs no nothing whatsoever. no plant medicines I, no, no funky tobacco pipes nothing like no, that. no nothing like that actually as part of the preparation for a vision quest you can't do anything like you mm. you you're you can't change the way your chemistry of your brain works at all because that's an important part is that it has to be functioning normally and then you know you take away everything that it needs so and you when you meet these beings you realize that this 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 shit's for real like you know oh yeah you have that real and, understanding now that's experiential not just theoretical like I, I think most people believe that angels do exist or whatever but until you actually see one in real life and like rub your eyes, I guess that's a totally different understanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And at that point, you know, I had I had done this kind of work and I had uh, worked in this these healing practices for for years now, you know, 20 years almost at that point. And and um, so it wasn't like so far out of the spectrum that I just could not deal with it. But it was it was for, further than what I expected. And in such a way that I mean, I, there was. There was, uh, uh, let's say, ancestors there speaking the Lakota language that was so old, I didn't understand what they were saying. You know, that kind of like there was a legitimacy to it that. Did you get to ask a question? I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> what, what was the first question? Just curious. What's the first thing that comes to mind when a being comes and you're like, oh, my God, I got I to gotta ask something. Um, Do you remember the, any of the specifics? Well, well actually, yeah, I do. I, I, all of them. Um, the the question that I, I actually went there with is um, kind of like the number one question. And that was the first one I asked is I asked for the power to help the world at the most, at the greatest, you know, the greatest power to help the world or and at the least what I asked for is the power to help my family. So it's kind of like and I'm not and leaving without this. I'm yeah, going yeah. for this, but you got to give me this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like it, I, I'm here. I'm here because you know we need this. We need this world needs us, and I need to understand these things so that I can do this work. You know, it 
it wasn't broken down in all those thoughts, but it was just that burning desire. And then that was the statement. And, um, you know, at that moment, this being basically poked me in the chest, not like, like on the chest, but like into my, into my chest. Yep. Right in, like through my body and said, you already have it. I placed it there. Nice. You know, and, and of course a lot of other things happen. Yeah. Um, Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's profound. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a game changer and it's a life changer. And out of that, you know, songs came and, and understanding came and like my, my life took a path and that path, you know, again, it, it, it did lead me up to this moment to going to Standing Rock. And that path is really, it's really about how to live in this world as human beings, how to become a human being for one, which is a whole nother discussion, you know, like what, it what does it actually mean to be human beings mm. versus, you know, just two legged creatures on this earth, but like, how do we become what we're meant to be? And then how does this get passed on into the future generations? And, um, you know, the people in Standing Rock, if yeah, you want to go, let's you know, go to Standing Rock. Yeah. Well, let's get there. Um, there's this prophecy I've been hearing about with the black snake prophecy about it's very symbolic of what exactly is going on right now. Do you know much about that? Yeah. Ex- yes. Explain it just briefly, if you can. Basically the black snake prophecy is that there was a, a medicine person uh, years and years ago that talked about a, a black snake in his vision. So he would, he went on a, a, a similar kind of quest that I just described. And in his vision, there was a, a black snake that was like put or came upon the land that slithered and came across the land and that this black snake would start uh, like emitting, oozing its venom, its poison. And if that black snake, like it was kind of like a prophecy of if this was to happen, then life will die. Like our lands, our homelands, the Lakota people that live in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, that their homelands will die. And so the, 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 the message that it carried was do not let this black snake take root in this land or the people will die. The children will die. The future generations will die. Um, and so that was the essence of the prophecy that came and, and uh, it, it left such an impression on the people that uh, for generations now, people have been watching for this, looking for this. What does this mean? And, and it's always like, is this a symbolic thing? Is this, is this, you know, telling us that this is something we need to do, deal with now is, a, is what is this about? And when this pipeline came upon the land and, you know, pumping its, its black crude oil from the devastation that's being laid upon the fields in North Dakota through this extraction process, you know, they said, this is the black snake. And mm. it's become very clear that this is the black snake. Um, so you tell, know, under- yeah, tell us, tell us about, you going there, seeing it, tell us about your experience. What, what's going on over there? Like you were there first time. You just got back, right? Yeah, I just got back actually, uh, um, uh, Sunday night, almost Monday morning, I, I came home and, um, I was there for 10 days. Um, I actually, I went up there after witnessing what occurred on the 27th of October when they, uh, you really violently removed the, uh, what they called the protector camp or the, the, the North camp. So they had set up, a camp um, right in the direct path line or pathway of the the pipeline. And um, when it came time for them to be removed, the the people, um, you know, there was no negotiation. Uh, The the Dakota Access Pipeline, they haven't sat down and tried to figure this out or work through it. They pretty much have an agenda. And under the backing and the, uh, the protection of the state of South Dakota and the police force, they're driving that forward without 
without hesitation and without compassion and without you know any type of uh, navigating uh, diplomacy with the Lakota, the, the nations there. So they had this camp set up and the police came in, they violently arrested people, um, pushing them back with batons, with uh, these, these sound cannons and all the different techniques they were using, pepper spray, um, non-lethal or less than lethal ammunitions. And one of the things that really uh, touched my heart is that um, besides having all this medical or, or indigenous or traditional healing background, uh, I, I was also a paramedic. I started uh, in EMS on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation back in 96. So I started to work for the tribes back then as an EMT and then eventually a paramedic. And I saw paramedics, people that were on the ground helping other people, being arrested, being yanked out of cars. And, you, you know, having that understanding of 17 years in this field, police should know better because it's the medics that say police, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a, there's an understanding about that with first responders, please fire EMS. Like, like you do not do certain things and, you know, victimizing, uh, per, perpetrating violence upon EMS is, is absolutely unacceptable. So anyways, as you can tell, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about yeah. that. I feel that. So I bought tickets that next day to fly up there and to get involved. And, and I had been involved peripherally up until that point. So what I saw there was actually incredible. I mean, I'm still, I'm still processing what my experience was there. Um, but this camp is not like anything you've ever seen before. Um, this camp is, uh, it's a spiritual center. It is a place of ceremony. It's a place of brotherhood, love, unity that I've not even come close to, even with all the ceremonies I've done, even with traditional ceremonies such as Sundances, where there's 200 people that come together to really unite in in brotherhood and in in prayer and ceremony. This is a place where over over a thousand and maybe up to three thousand people are working with a, a sense of unity and a sense of trust and a sense of like pride in one another that that's unbelievable um indigenous people and and european people and uh, uh mainstream american people asian people everyone comes together and basically looks each other in the eye and say you know for the water you know many wichoni water is life and it's it's like if you can imagine that place where where culture still exists, where human connection is still vibrant, where people, you know, with all our differences and all our nuances and all our maybe things that trigger us and rub us different ways, like people have come together to really work together and to stop this this black snake, to kill this black snake. And not not just for themselves, not out of some, you know, self-serving, but for the land, for the animals, for the the children and for the future generations. So it's 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 really in contrast to what you see on the other side. And I didn't personally have much interaction with the police force. Um, you know, I wasn't on the front line of any any great interaction. Um, none of that actually happened while I was there. There was a few direct actions in, in Bismarck and Mandan and along the roads. But uh, mainly what I supported when I was there, because that was the priority, was winterization. Winter's coming. You know, it's going to be cold. People need places to stay. And that uh, people are there for the long term. So, so is, yeah. So is the protest slowing it down? Do you think that it will be successful as far as stopping it? Where where do we stand as far as 
the efforts to date, are they just slowly pushing back and keeping on building? What What's going on there from that perspective? Yeah, yeah. So I think the camp itself is is actually being very successful in what it's doing. And, and what it's doing isn't necessarily stopping it like dead in its tracks at this moment, but it's working. It's working. And the way that it's really working is that every day, somewhere between what I estimated when I was there, 75 to 200 people are arriving in that camp every day. And there are also probably that many people leaving camp because there's this constant flow of people. But, you know, under what I just described of what that camp culture is like, 75 to 200 people a day are coming to camp and being exposed to that level of unity and brotherhood that, you know, personally in all my training and all my traditional work, I have not seen on that level. So I know that, Everybody there hasn't seen this, you know, or I'm pretty sure that, you know, at least 99% of the people have never seen anything like this. So what that's doing is that that it's it's like a training ground of people working together, people working in uni, people being blessed by ceremony. And it was anything from celebrities to there was no class designation. There was no like everyone was there just for the cause, which is no. Yeah, I mean. The day before I arrived, a good friend was was there. He was describing, you know, this this man walking around playing guitar and uh, on a harmonica. And later on, he found out it was one of his heroes. You know, it was Neil Young, and he was oh, just really? like, wow. "Yeah, yeah, uh, Daryl Han, all these, yeah." And 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 nobody sees any of that. Everybody's just there working as hard as they can to to really keep the energy, and it's a very very positive energy alive. So. As people go through this process and as the word has gotten out about what's happened and as as the understanding of, of you know, stopping this black black snake has spread around the world. Um, recently, uh, one of the banks has pulled out one of the backers of this has pulled out. So without this camp, that would not have happened um, without, you know, people such as Collective Evolution, you know, without these organizations, Facebook, you know, just constantly spreading this this word. And people going to camp to see what it is, to experience that, to work as hard as they can, and then come out of that and really, really motivated to take action, local action. And um, hopefully that'll push people to then invest in more sustainable, clean energy, you know, like you said, magnetic solar, um, whatever, that's going to be of a less impact on the environment. Maybe this is the sort of awareness that it needs for people to divest because that's, that's, I guess, what hurts them the most, right? Not getting the financing and stuff like that. So. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all profit driven. And right now, you know, every day that 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 uh, pipeline's not in operations, it's, it's millions of dollars of loss. And and the uh, the understanding is that the contract for the pipeline is up at the beginning of the year and that if it's not operational by that point, then it's dead in the water. So it's a big part of what the camp is working on. And it's a big part of what everybody around the world is working on. And, and you know, this is part of what I'm working on as well. So that brings me to a last, we're just going to wrap up. How can people help? If people can, people go there or people donate money. What's the best way for people to help? Yeah. So there's, there's multiple avenues of, if you do go there and I would just say this to, you know, all the people that are listening to this and, and watching this is that you want to go there with the understanding that it's work and it's going to be really extreme environments. Um, you know, having grown up or lived in South Dakota for many years, um, North Dakota is even more harsh. You know, there's there's times that winter where it's going to be negative 20, negative 30. You know, that's Fahrenheit. And with wind chill, it could even be more extreme. So it's going to be a, an extreme place. So what 
I would say is go there if you're able to go there if you can work go there if you can put yourself on the front line and if you're arrestable and what that means is you're going to get arrested but there's support systems they will get you out you know there's a whole process for that with the legal team go there if you're able to but don't go there if you know if you're injured if you're sick or if you're you know if you're needing more assistance because it's going to be a pretty extreme survival situation there in the sense of everyone has to be really able body um now, if you can't go there or you don't want to go there, then there is uh, one of the best websites to, to actually financially con uh, contribute in some fashion is um, it's uh, ochetishakawincamps.org. And that is the main camp, the camp you're gonna, that you're most... You're going to have to spell that. that, that okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's Ocheti uh, Camp. So that's O-C-E-T-I-S-A-K. W-I-N camps.org. And we're, we'll put that on, on, we'll put that up on the uh, website as well. Yeah. So there's lots of, lots of need for financial contribution um, that would support the camp directly, but maybe even more important is for people to take local action to, for people to really understand what this situation is to look at uh, divesting from the banks that are, are funding and profiting from this uh, pipeline to really, you know, take those steps to uh, implement solar or, or alternative energy in your life to start like understanding this, this issue and start understanding that we can divest from fossil fuels and we have to. Um, and if we don't do this, then, you know, our children will suffer. And it's not, you know, it's not some distant, you know, prophetic kind of experience like this is happening now. And it's not going to be just our children, you know, myself at 40. Uh, uh, it's going to be my lifetime as well. Mm. So, so, yeah, well, thank you so much, Sal. Uh, people um, that are listening, please support whichever way you can. Um, and, and you're going back, you said, Sal, you're heading back. Yeah, well, the plan is at this point that um, I'm going to watch and wait. I'm not able to get back there before the end of the year. So, of course, like the end of the year is going to really be telling as far as how the pipeline dies or moves forward. And then at that point, um, if the support's needed, I'm going to definitely go back. Awesome. And, awesome. So if people yeah. want to learn more about you, you have a website as well. What's your website, Sal? Yeah, uh, my website is uh, helpersmentoringsociety.com. Um, and so uh, out of that whole experience that I described earlier, uh, I do a lot of training and teachings uh, of of this type of material and of bridging those cultures and, and traditions and, and healing this disconnection sickness that, you know, many people in the modern world face. So, um, yeah, just Helpers Mentoring Society will give you a, a bit of background on that. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Sal, for uh, doing this interview and letting us know the update at Standing Rock. I'm sure we'll have you back on the show again. And uh, hopefully I get to see you soon if you come up this way to Toronto over the next couple of months. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Okay.